0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems, and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights, and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, part two, I'd like to talk about how to invest successfully. Invest, in fact, in commercial property. Now, last week's episode, part one, uh, was all about uh, commercial property fundamentals and attributes, and in particular, how it differs. Uh, from residential property. So uh, the aim of that uh, episode was really to give you a bit of an introduction towards commercial property uh, so that you had a a, a reasonable basis uh, for then talking about uh, how to invest in commercial property. Uh, so if you haven't seen that uh, or listened to that episode, uh, maybe go and do that now uh, before you uh, digest uh, this episode. Uh, so, what I want to do um, today is take you through um, different investment options. Uh, so, how you can invest in commercial property. Uh, and that includes uh, buying direct commercial property, so buying a building yourself, um, co investing with others, or using uh, what's called uh, REITs, real estate investment trusts, uh, which are listed on many are listed on the ASX, but there's other managed funds and, and so forth. So another pooled uh, vehicle, and I'll talk through uh, each of those. But before I do that, like I talked about last week, there's three categories of commercial property. Uh, Now, there's lots of different subcategories, of course, but if we're going to just put them into three, uh, the three would be retail, uh, retail property, shopping strips, those sorts of things. Uh, industrial property, which tends to have uh, one tenant and be located in an outer area. so a sort of industrial shed uh, for a manufacturer or something like that. Uh, and office. Uh, an office as obviously, that the name explains is an office building, uh, typically with multi-tenants and so forth. So perhaps the best place to start is what I don't do or what I'm not particularly interested in at this particular time. And when I say at this particular time... Um, because commercial property, unlike residential property, residential property is a necessity. We all need somewhere to live, whereas commercial property tends to be a little bit more cyclical and have a little bit more volatility. So it's quite possible that there'll be times that um, it'll be attractive to invest in retail property, for example, and there'll be times when it's not attractive. At this point in time, I'm not particularly attracted to retail property, Um, really what's going on, particularly with internet and online sales, is of course uh, the retail industry has been under pressure uh, in terms of margins and so forth. Uh, And that pressure either has to um, go on to profit margins uh, as those businesses uh, make less money. Um, But I don't think that's going to be enough to compensate for the margin pressure that's gone on. Uh, And I think uh, landlords will need to make some concessions as well uh, in particular locations. So, you know, in terms of going a, and into a suburban shopping strip and buying a retail property, uh, unless it's owner occupy use, so you've got a business to put in there, and even then, I'm not sure, but uh, unless it's something like that as a pure investment, you're going to get a low yield, and, you know, I- I'm not sure really where the demand's going to come from, uh, from an investment perspective and therefore capital growth in the future. Uh, and so that might change, but at the moment, I, I feel like it's a bit of a risky sector in terms of valuation wise and, uh, and future pressures. Uh, industrial property, uh, I mean industrial property tends to have a higher yield, but my concerns are twofold. Uh, firstly, um, they've got a sing- single tenant profile, so that can mean that you've got longer periods of vacancy, uh, three to six months, uh, which it might be okay for some people in some portfolios, particularly if you already have commercial exposure but something to really think deeply about. Uh, And secondly, these assets tend to have quite low capital growth uh, unless you can buy industrial property in a gentrifying area. Um, But doing that today, you've got to almost overpay to get into that market. Uh, So otherwise, then you're forced further out um, into a very, very much an outer area. Uh, And, you know, unless you're going to buy in a corridor or some growth corridor or something like that, Uh, I think uh, it can be difficult to get uh, any meaningful capital growth. And so that leaves office, and I like office for two reasons. Uh, The first one is I've got tenant diversification. So an office building might have 20 to 40, 50 tenants in it. Uh, So the likelihood of all those tenants uh, leaving their lease uh, all at one time are really low. Um, and so therefore, you know, uh, my income stream is a little bit more reliable from that perspective. And then secondly, you can add value to office buildings, uh, or at least you've got far greater scope to add value to a, an office building compared to retail and to industrial. And you can add value uh, by in two ways. The first way is that you can um, make some capital improvements And the aim of those capital improvements is to increase your rent per square metre. So those sorts of capital improvements that would be attractive to tenants uh, is like refurbishing foyers, lifts, atriums, uh, bathrooms, adding sort of of end-of-trip facilities such as showers, bike racks, those sorts of things, Uh, even uh, fitting out offices, uh, smaller offices ready for you know, smaller businesses and so forth that so don't have to go through that, that fit-out process. All those things can go towards generating a higher rent per square metre, and that higher rent per square metre obviously then derives a higher end valuation. The second way you can add value is by improved property management. So that's really about having uh, better and deeper relationships with tenants uh, so the tenants renew leases and are more open to signing longer-term leases. And the key metric here is called WAIL, weighted, weighted average lease expiry. And so the longer the a building's WAIL is, uh, the lower its discount is, and therefore the higher the building value. And the reason for that, obviously, is a long WAIL means that on a weighted average basis, um, the, the income is under lease for a longer period of time, and therefore that building looks like a lower risk. So if you can go and buy a building on a short whale uh, and then get in there and start building some relationships with tenants uh, uh, by making some capital improvements to see that you're investing in the property um, and you're going to treat them fairly and nicely and look after them, uh, well then when the lease comes up, they might be more willing to sign a longer term lease. And if you can do that successfully over a couple of years, uh, you can potentially increase that whale Uh, And just that, by that mechanism, you've then really added value to the building. Uh, Notwithstanding, you know, you've still got sort of market exposure. So if if market rents are rising or um, discount rates are falling or these sorts of things, it's also going to add value. Okay, so now that you know I'm in favour of office, uh, if I wanted to go and invest in a commercial office building, how can I do that? Well, the first option is direct ownership, of course. You know, you can go out and actually buy the building and own 100% of the building. And, of course, the downside with this option is your limited budget. And it's going to be dependent on your borrowing capacity, of course, and the amount of cash that you've got or equity that you've got to contribute towards the purchase. But I would say that um, you need a budget of at least $2 million, I think, to buy a really good quality commercial property Uh, And that's probably not going to be an office. Maybe that's going to be industrial. Um, To buy a good commercial office, you're looking at uh, probably substantially more than that. Um, uh, Of course, it makes sense that, you know, commercial properties sub $20 for example, uh, there's a lot of uh, self-managed super funds, wealthy individuals, et cetera, et cetera, in that space, in that price point. Uh, And so therefore, because there's more buyers... Uh, The deals that you can get or the prices that you have to pay uh, in that space aren't always as attractive. Whereas, moving, say, between that 20 million and 80 million price point, it's too big for individual investors and too small for institutions. So, it's a good kind of price point to get to. And I'll talk about shared ownership um, in a second. So, one of the advantages, of course, of investing in direct commercial property is that you've got absolute control over the asset. So you can decide you know who the tenant is, how long are you get a tenant for. Uh, and especially if there's alternate uses to that asset so you buy it in an area that's gentrifying and then you can convert it to I don't know residential or something like that, you've got full control uh, in order to do that. Of course if you're buying direct commercial property um, and your budget isn't substantial, it's like several millions of dollars, then it's likely you're going to end up with a property with uh, one tenant. Uh, and if you have a single tenant profile, then you have got risks of uh, longer-term vacancy. And even if the vacancy isn't that long, uh, you might have to offer tenant incentives, which means rent-free periods. So it's quite possible that you, know, you, you don't receive any income for six months and so forth, something you need to really uh, think deeply about. And now my wife and I uh, have invested in direct commercial property and certainly enjoyed excellent returns. Uh, in fact, we sold uh, that property uh, about 18 months ago because we received a, a stupid offer. And it's my view that uh, you know commercial property that is at a price point where most of us can invest uh, is selling for unusually high prices. And I just don't see the value as a, just a general comment uh, at this age. But as I said, commercial property can be cyclical, so it's not to suggest that that Uh, sector of the market won't represent value. So I guess as a general comment, investing in direct commercial, um, I'm not particularly attracted to that because I think the prices being paid at this particular time uh, are too high and I don't really see where the returns are going to come from. Okay, which brings me to the second uh, investment option then, which is called shared ownership. Uh, So it's possible to co-invest in commercial property with other investors uh, and these are often called Um, investment syndicates or property syndicates Uh, and it typically comprises of a group of investors that uh, might go and purchase a building uh, using some debt so they might borrow 45 to 50 percent of the purchase price and then contribute the rest in equity Uh, these assets are often owned in a unit trust and each investor owns the units in that trust so they've got a fixed entitlement There's several uh, commercial property investing businesses that arrange syndicates, and really like anything in financial services space, you've got to be super, super careful. Uh, And in fact, I would say most uh, commercial property syndicates uh, really don't make very good investments. I mean, it's a little bit like investment-grade residential property. Most residential properties aren't good investment prospects, and uh, most Commercial property syndicates also don't make good uh, investment prospects. It really, there's a lot to consider here. And the team behind the the commercial property decisions is critical. Uh, they've got to have skin in the game. Uh, they can't be just employees uh, willing to do deals and moving on. You know, they've really got to have something on the line uh, in order to make sure, give you comfort, at least me as an advisor, comfort that... Uh, uh, they're going to make good long-term decisions uh, and they're not taking silly risks. And also, and probably even more important, they've got to have runs on the board. So a really good long-term track record of generating returns. Now, of course, if you find the right syndicate, uh, it can offer heaps of different advantages. And the first one is it's you're levelling up on quality. You're really getting yourself into a price point that has far less competition as I said um, previously, that twenty to eighty million dollar price point too expensive for wealthy individuals typically, uh, and too small for institutions. So there is a lot less competition in that price point, uh, and there is potentially better deals to be done as well. The other advantages are, you know, the the risk of suffering a lower income due to vacancies uh, greatly reduced. If you have a, a large amount of money to invest, you can um, spread it across multiple buildings and get yourself some diversification there. And finally, um, the investment manager will manage the whole process, you know, right through from asset selection, acquisition, negotiation, capital improvement, uh, property management, and so on. So it's a very, you know, hands-off, passive style investment. And again, if you've got the right managers working for you. Uh, they're the ones that are really going to drive the returns and, and generate the value. Of course, the main disadvantage with this investment is that you own units, uh, typically in an unlisted unit trust, uh, which is a illiquid investment. And so, of course, if if the investment turns bad, if you buy the wrong property or something bad happens, um, of course, you can go and sell those units to someone. But, you know, who's going to want to buy a unit in a dud investment? Um so I guess, but that's true for most investments, I guess. Like if you go and buy a dud uh, residential property, um, that's also hard to sell too, you know, unless you really drop the price. But the way of mitigating that risk in terms of ending up with a dud investment is choose the right investment managers, so the people behind the business, and do your due diligence on the actual asset that you're buying as well. Make sure it makes sense. There's a evidence-based, rules-based approach to selecting that asset And understand where the returns are going to come from. So, you know, if you can buy an asset at a very good price, you're happy with the type of asset you're buying. And thirdly, that there's plenty of scope for improvement, then the chances of making a loss are are greatly reduced compared to, say, just buying something, you know, on the basis that it's a rising market. Now, some people don't like co investing because of lack of control. You know, if they, they can go and buy a residential property, they're used to being in control of that asset. Now, of course, I acknowledge that's a potential downside and and people might look at it that way. I don't. I mean, if I go and invest in an index fund or an industry super fund, I don't control that investment, do I? You know, but I can get my head around that. Well, same with commercial investing. I don't really want control, um, particularly in the commercial space, because I'm not an expert in that area. And in fact, I'm ultimately relying on the investment managers, the people that are making the investment decisions to manage that investment and make decisions along the way. So giving me control doesn't really help me very much uh, because I don't have the skill set to be able to take control of that investment. Whereas if it's residential property, it's far more kind of set and forget. And so having the control when you've got a residential property is not such a big deal because you can outsource the property management. And then beyond that, there's really not too much to worry about. So the lack of control in terms of investing in a syndicate, uh, I'm far, far less concerned about um, from that perspective. And the final investment option is what's called a real estate investment trust or REIT. Uh, They will come in a managed fund form or an ETF form. Uh, Those ETFs are are listed on the ASX, Australian Stock Exchange, and they're a little bit like the pooled, um, situation: the syndicates I just explained, but at a much bigger level. And instead of the units being unlisted, they're listed, so they've got you've got a liquid market for them. Um, REITs will typically invest in a number of buildings, and they could be worth you know five hundred million dollars, whatever it is. It's a large pool of assets that they're managing. According to data compiled by S and P Dow Jones, about sixty to eighty percent of actively managed REITs fail to beat the benchmark. So therefore, I use exactly the same approach with investing in REITs as I do investing in shares. That is, I use low-cost passive indexing, not active funds management. And Vanguard has an ex- excellent example that's produced some really good long-term returns. Now, I'm not surprised active management fails to outperform index. Uh, some of the stories I've heard for you know really large... Uh, REITs where they'll have some acquisition managers, they get hired, they've gone buy a couple of buildings, they'll get paid a bonus this year and they're on to the next job. Uh, you know, a different role at a different firm. Um, uh, they don't really um, care too much about what the results look like, particularly over longer term. You know, they've been paid and they've got their bonus and they've got no skin in the game. Uh, whereas uh, indexing, of course, is far more diversified uh, and you tend to reduce your risk that way. I tend to avoid Australian REITs. I tend to go for international REITs uh, just because Australian REITs have uh, sort of too much exposure either directly or indirectly to retail property. Uh, And as a sort of sum up, I mean, whilst I certainly like REITs uh, and uh, use them for for some clients, uh, I like uh, the – my preference is for the pooled um, approach, so the syndicates – uh, when investing clients' monies and my own for that matter, uh, because I like the fact that we can go and buy a property that I can understand the attributes of that property um, in terms of location, et cetera. So I can get some comfort there. And that as I said, there's some value adds that you can um, implement to drive returns and in fact that you don't buy the building unless there are those value adds. So that is improve the management to increase the whale. Uh, and then to make some capital improvement to increase the, the rent per square metre. And so, if there's those value adds as well as just general market sentiment that helps you, uh, you know, increases the building over time, uh, then I think that greatly reduces your risk. Now, just to wrap up, of course, uh, deciding to invest in commercial property without having a long term plan uh, is tantamount, tantamount to asking for directions without a destination you know, you're not going to stop someone in the street and ask for directions. They'll say, where are you are going? Yeah, I don't know. And you know, the, the whole point is having a long-term plan provides context, a context for deciding is investing in commercial property wise move at this stage? Does it help me get closer to my goal or further away? Um, and that context is incredibly important. That being said, Of course, commercial property is a wonderful investment. Uh, As I said, I've invested in direct commercial property. I don't hold any direct commercial at this stage. Uh, I've invested in a number of syndicates, which I uh, continue to hold uh, and certainly uh, help my clients invest in those syndicates as well. Uh, And it is a wonderful asset class that I do encourage you to consider, of course, if it's appropriate for your goals and age stage of life. That's it for me for this week. Uh, Once again, thanks for listening. Uh, Bye for now.